0: Forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right.
1: It's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff Probst is here. Jeff. Yes. I have to tell you this. Ben, this go. This embarrassing. Why? Only a little embarrassing. Um, I am uh, occasionally complimented. Um, the way I run this podcast, okay, and I credit you with really, that. I really do. Uh, I often say I learned how to talk to people, I learned how to interview people from watching Survivor. Wow, that is a huge. <laughs> you compliment. are really good at it. Thank you, and it's something I want to get into. That I, the idea of storytelling in the moment. Right. Well, and Uh,
0: it might explain why this is one of my favorite podcasts. uh, Maybe maybe I'm just listening to a version
1: of myself. (laughs) If you could round up all those people (laughs) who are inspired by you. Um, But that's something that's very interesting to me, the idea of creating the story in the moment and sort of drawing that out, the the human story, and then obviously creating the story later on, too, in the edit uh, on the show. It's interesting that you
0: said that because... Every so often, uh, like a younger host will – I'll meet someone and they'll say, well, you know, what do you think uh, – and I always – what do you think, like, is the key? To, and I said, I feel like it's not hosting. It's making a moment hmm. in the moment, being able to find that or, – or realize that a moment is happening and how to seize it and turn it into something. And that's kind of what you're talking yeah. about, I think. Yeah,
1: it's, it's giving import to that – something that may seem small. Right. Right, that actually – Has resonance. Well, on a show like Survivor, if you don't do
0: that, then it's the same as having a great idea for a scene and not writing it because they are writing their stories. They're writing them in front of you yeah. and your job is to be able to say, oh my God, I think that's the kernel of a great scene. Why'd you say that? Mm-hmm. And then they open up the scene for you.
1: So, and, and I want to kind of get into that stuff, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But were you always someone who was digging in, in that way, trying, you know, were you always a good talker? Were you always good at. Interacting with people and kind of pulling out their stories? Well, my friends might say it's, a, it's an annoying quality,
0: but <laughs> in fact, some of them w- have told me it's annoying. But yeah, I was always, I've always been into people and humanity and why, why we behave the way we behave. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I met Mark Burnett for the show, all we had was a meeting. I'd heard him talking on the radio and we ended up having an interview about whether or not I'd be the right guy for the show. And he talked for almost the entire two hours. And at the very end, he just said, so, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And i I'm, I'm all, I had all these anecdotes I was ready to share and I threw them all out and said, look, I'm a student of the human condition. I've been in therapy. I'm a writer. I get your show. And that was really all I had to say. I mean, all that I could say to represent myself
2: mm-hmm.
0: is that I think it's about people and their story. And if that's what you think, then we might be a good match. Right. And if you think it's something else, then I'm probably not the right guy. If this is
1: the kind of show you're looking to make, yes. If this is the kind of thing you're trying. Better to Better said, out, yeah, 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 exactly. I think that that really makes sense. Um, it seems like you were also like always a movie kid too. Yeah, like were you? I mean, looking at your resume and stuff, and you went to work for TV pretty early on, right. in various roles. Um, was that always the goal, just to get in and be in TV or be in movies? Well, I didn't have it as a goal. Now when I hear young people in L.A., they have clear goals. Yeah.
0: I just liked doing it. I didn't think there was anywhere more electric than a set. I didn't care what I was doing on it. Just seeing a cable— and where it led to and what that guy how we how we how we could wind the um yeah. the um extension cords and make them so neat the way he put them around. Oh my God. <laughs> All of that stuff. I mean, God, this world is so cool. Mm-hmm. And it just one thing kinda led to another. And I I always made little movies. They were terrible, mm-hmm. but I would try to figure out how to make an eight millimeter animated movie or sure. something. And now I think I can look back and see those were the That was the formation of me wanting to be a storyteller,
1: but I never had the clarity. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I feel like, you know, especially sort of our generation, right? It's one remove from right now where everything is very immediate and it's a realistic thing to say I can be on TV because there's YouTube and there's all this stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, I feel like for our generation and the ones before it was kind of like, I like that. I like what they're doing there. I want to be a part of that. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) I remember Glenn Bancroft and I getting a
0: 16 millimeter camera and shooting, (coughs) shooting one roll of film. And we had a lighter and that was our light source. And we had this girl light a cigarette and we had no idea what it was going to look like. We just, we just ran the camera and then we got it processed and then we projected it and went, wow, dude, you can see where the, you can see the lighter light
1: up her face. That was, that was really funny. I had no idea how anything worked. Sure. Um, what was the, so you, you went to school for screenwriting? Is that no, right? or was no, that I, later? yeah,
0: it was later. I okay. studied it in New York, Okay, but I never went to a formally went to oh, any kind of film school, which listen, let that be a lesson. Everybody. I don't know. do I, it. Well, yeah, do it. I think you're right. But I did just talk to a couple of kids who are at USC <laughs> film school
1: over the weekend and it does sound pretty cool. <laughs> sure. I mean, they talked about their lab and the kind
2: of yeah. gear they had.
1: Well, what other time, like that's when you were just given time to write yeah. and to make stuff with no pressure of like supporting your family and things like that. Uh, it's so true. It is worth it for that.
0: Probably. And the other thing that was really cool about New York was at least then this was in the, um, early nineties. There wasn't there. Nobody, we had a writer's unit that met every Sunday and nobody ever talked about who was going to be in it or where you would shoot it. It was about what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to LA and I, I signed up for another writer's group. I met a guy and he said, I meet with some people and we got together and the entire conversation was about so I'm thinking Al Pacino. Oh my god. And I thought, oh my God, what? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, these are the guys that actually are wanting to get a movie made. They're thinking
1: smart. The people in New York were just thinking the art right. of dramatic writing. Well, yeah, I mean there's that's the thing that we grapple with all the time, right? Is craft versus business. Right. Right. And that's what this show does, but uh, is talk about those things because you can't separate them. We're it's a we're talking about a popular medium. Yeah. Um, what was the kind of stuff that you were writing early on? Mostly drama.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never really gotten comedy. I don't really get the pace of it. Uh-huh. I'm not a great, fa- uh, great person to have in the audience at a comedy because I laugh inside my head and I'm it's terrible. Sure. But I've always been more about. 12 angry men, Mm -hmm. you know, the, I like the idea of solving a conflict through words and then they, they lead to action, but that it's not just action after action, but you're really watching something unfold organically Mm -hmm. and the behavior of one person impacts the behavior of
1: another and leads them to, to somewhere they wouldn't have gotten alone. That's interesting. It's about personal interactions, right? It's about how we bounce off of each other and. Yeah. Create story, create tension, create an arc in that way. Yeah. That's that's neat. Was there stuff besides, you know, maybe maybe 12 Angry Men was one of them, but was there stuff that was sort of a gateway for you that you said? Well, Glengarry Glenn,
0: Gary, oh, Glenn Ross oh, was yeah. definitely a more modern version of mm-hmm. something. And all of David Mamet's writing, for a long time I just read his stuff and, and thought, man, this, this is the guy I can relate to because it's a play. Mm-hmm that can be dramatized visually. And then I remember reading a book he wrote about directing and he said, an actor's going to ask you why they need to open the door. And you tell them because you want to get inside, you know, he had this like completely different approach to directing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure that I actually agree with <laughs> that, but yeah, I think it was those kinds of stories that, um, that connected me and still connect me mm-hmm. uh, to storytelling. And I think that's why I like survivor so much. Interesting. It's humans from different walks of life forced to work together mm-hmm. to create this society but here's the conflict you have to get rid of each other and only one's going to remain who's that going to be and by the way there are no rules <laughs>
1: right yeah there's nothing to govern the human interaction no i can right. lie That's i can really cheat, cheat i can steal i can conspire against you yeah i can team up How with funny. you was this something you knew you discovered about the show early on did you know this coming in that this would No. How could you? We didn't. In fact,
0: Richard Hatch was so far ahead of us in the first season. He started the first alliance, and I remember him doing it in front of me. There was a couple of people had set out of a challenge because they had too many on their tribe Mm -hmm. or whatever the reason. And I think it was Sue Hawk he looked to and he said, you know, we should vote out so-and-so. We had never— considered that people would work together.
1: Right. <laughs> it seems so basic now. Right. But why would you? Yeah. You think beginning. everyone, I mean, everyone's going to vote on their own. Exactly. that's I mean, what makes sense, right? That's what we thought.
0: That's really funny. And then there was another big moment at the end where there were three people left and they were doing this challenge and the person who won the challenge would guarantee themselves a spot at the end. And it was Richard and Rudy and Kelly Wigglesworth. These three iconic survivor players now. And I remember Richard sitting up there in the sun realizing, wait a second, Kelly, you can't beat Rudy and Rudy. You can't beat Kelly. You both have to take me to the end. I'm going to just sit down and drop out. And we all were, our heads were blown. What? And then we were sitting out in the sun for hours going, oh my God, He's so smart. He's right. Wow. They have to take him. That seems so basic if you watch shows like Survivor now, but at the time, yeah. it had never been done, so it was a bit mind-blowing. That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. That yeah. The, I mean, it's, there's something interesting to... And it, and it happens on you know scripted shows, too, where you see the show figure itself out yes. in the first season. right? And that's a really interesting thing, but it's especially interesting, I think, for a show that... Where it happens organically because of the people involved. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Well, that's why casting is so critical. Sure. Because you really are. We have people who we meet and we think you'd be great on the show, but not this season. And I think they often take it personally like there's like they weren't good enough for the show. It has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with the,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the ingredients.
1: Yeah. You're creating an ensemble. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's interesting. Um, I want to just pick this up. Uh, because it's on topic but this most recent season yeah uh, last season I think we saw a similar thing where people were playing in an unexpected way totally and I'm sure you've talked this to death no but what wh- how what was the reaction to seeing these people kind of go outside the circles of how the game had been played well it was
0: fantastic to watch absolutely
1: because you you know Survivor
0: is the star of Survivor the <laughs> format is the star mm-hmm. And the format allows for evolution because you're putting new people on and you're putting people who you're putting people on the show who are now at a different point in their lives. And the culture is different. Mm-hmm. So Survivor is very different in its 16th year because our culture is different. We have different things happening. Gay rights is happening. There are immigrations immigration's happening. Whatever those topics are, they will find their way into the fabric of the show and it will either bond people or push people apart. And so we were mesmerized by how fast the game was changing. And then we started realizing one of the reasons why, and one of the big reasons for the heightened gameplay was that we let the fans vote Mm -hmm. the people in the players. And what happens from a player's point of view is you feel chosen Hmm. You feel like, you know, she, she asked me to marry her. Wow. Not that other guy. And now I want to show her I'm the best guy ever. She made the right choice. We saw that in interview after interview where people were saying, I don't want to let the fans down. Mm -hmm. They could have chosen anybody and they chose me. And so there was something telling about human nature within the process of picking the people to play a game
1: about human nature. It all became very, you know, it turns in on itself. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) That's really funny. Um, All right. Let's go back uh, again, though, and talk about some more of this sort of making your way in the business. I know, like, this is a big topic on the show. People are always interested about getting that first break. Right. And it's interesting to hear about, you know, you did these jobs because you wanted to be in the business. That we're not necessarily writing, that we're not necessarily acting or producing. Right. You know, none of the things you're known for now. Yeah. But you do it because it's a foot in, right? My very first official job was at the Boeing company. Mm-hmm. And my dad
0: worked there and he got me an interview with the guy who ran this little motion picture department, it was called. Oh, funny. And they made training videos for the company. Sure how to, how to fill out a report or whatever. Yep. And they also made marketing videos for airlines that they would sell airplanes to. <laughs> so often they might sell a 747 to a country and they would say, and we'll build you a five minute promotional piece that you can use. Gotcha. And that was the division that I got a job in. They made the marketing videos and my job was to change light bulbs. And really, that was it. Yeah. Like clean up the <laughs> carpeting sure. and I was there about, I don't know, two or three months, and I I don't know what I was thinking, but I basically said something to the effect of, when am I going to get to do something? And my boss, Don Simonelli, who was such a good dude to me, (laughs) he said, you're doing it. And if you don't like it, why don't you get out? Mm -hmm. And it really shocked me and kind of humiliated me. And it was a guy saying, you got a job probably through your dad and you want to move up quickly. I get it. This is the process. And now I can look back and see, he, he knew what he was saying. You're absorbing all of it, Mm -hmm. but I know you think you're ready to go make something you're not. And we're a company and you're not, you don't get that chance here until you earn it. But over, I think three or four years, I started to get to play with the offline editing system and press the red button and the rewind button and see what it did. And then he let me write a script and then he let me direct one. And then everything changed when I hired a guy to host it, this guy, Paul Hurlinger, and I paid him $600 for the day and went $600 for doing that. I make $600 a week. <laughs> right. And so the next one I asked him, could I host, could I Funny. write and direct it and host it? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, give it a shot. And that's when I started doing on-camera work.
1: Oh, that's really interesting.
0: And the on-camera actually helped me, got me into a much bigger sphere of learning because I was on a lot more sets with different directors and producers and teams.
1: But even that first experience, I mean, what a great low-stakes way to learn how a camera works and how a script works and, like— All of that stuff must have been an amazing learning experience. Well,
0: Ben, you said something earlier. It was back in the time when you didn't have a family. You didn't have responsibilities other than your own rent and food. And Glenn Bancroft and I would sit in there after our shift was done at 5 p.m. We would stay in there until 3 or 4 a.m. and make music videos. They were terrible. Sure. But we had access to cameras and editing gear, and we would just shoot things and cut them together. And you slowly start learning. Ah, All those shots were wasted. Those were dumb. We don't need any of that. You know what's more interesting is when you're actually in a close-up on that moment, you start learning, and you think you're learning. You don't think you're learning anything. Right. And then years later, you realize, I think I'm a better storyteller now than I was.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's the advice we hear all the time. Really? On the show is – do the thing yeah do it for sure right if you want to be a writer write those scripts if you want to be a director go shoot something edit something whatever it is and And it okay
0: so what is the because I listen to this podcast but I don't know if I've ever come away with a definitive why does that like I just finished a screenplay a first draft and I said to my wife it is it is so amazing anytime anyone finishes a screenplay because you're doing it if you're, unless you're being paid, you're doing it with no promise of anything, Absolutely. and it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But you do it. So why do you think it's hard when you say to a young person, "Do you have an iPhone? Mm-hmm. All right, go shoot something with your iPhone. Okay. I know you don't need mics, you don't need a <laughs> camera, you don't just use your iPhone. And then, do you have any little software on your MacBook? Right. Edit it. Why is it so hard? Why do people want to see their James Cameron epic? <laughs> What is that? Like, how do you make that transition make sense?
1: It's a good question. I don't know. I I think there's something to, when you first realize this is something you want to do, it's because you've seen Star Wars or you've seen, you know, whatever it is. And that's big, right? It's writ large. And so the first jump is not, I don't think it's about, I want to be famous, for some people, is, Right. But for, for, you know, anyone who wants to actually be a writer or director or whatever, I don't think it's that. But that's what you know is the thing that's large. Hmm. And so you don't think about those other steps. So, you know, especially a 20-year-old who wants to do this stuff. You don't think about just writing the thing is what the job right. is. It is weird, though, because we all
0: study the biographies of all the people we mm-hmm. want to emulate, and they all say the same thing. Yeah. And yet we think, yeah, but I already know how to, I, I could go ahead and jump in and probably direct your next episode of, you know, right. X-Files <laughs> because we actually believe it. I, whenever I talk to somebody or when I get a chance to hang out with a writer or director, I'm, I find myself looking for them to tell me something that they didn't know mm-hmm. or still don't know or aren't sure about, because then that gives me permission to not know something as well. Sure. Because I always had this idea that a director knew everything. He would never say, I'm not sure where to put the camera. That would be impossible. Of course, you know where to put it. You think, think about this all the time. The minute I read an interview where a director said, well, you know, I really wasn't even sure where to put the camera on that scene. And our DP actually had a really cool idea. And then the guy doing craft services really solved the (laughs) day. It gives you permission to go. You don't have to know everything. You just have you can't, to, you can't yeah, you just have to have the ability to know what you
1: don't know, yeah. maybe, and ask <laughs> that would help. So let me ask you this then: when it comes to storytelling, you've written a number of screenplays, right. you've directed uh, a couple t- of movies, uh, movies. Um, you're creating stories year after year on Survivor. Um, what don't you know? Uh, what do you still feel like you have to learn? Oh, a lot. Um, (laughs) pick any of those
0: categories a lot. I mean, when it comes to directing, I am not a technical director. Mm -hmm. I don't understand lenses the way I wish I did and lighting the way I wish I did, but it's not really my drive. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a collaborator. I would rather say to the DP emotionally, this is what's happening. Mm
1: -hmm. How best to visually tell it. And I like that teamwork. Sure. Um, Which is, I mean, like, this is the medium. You know, if you don't like collaborating, go write a novel. But, you know, we all know of a lot of directors, they know everything and they tell the actor where to
0: stand because the light's going to hit you here and I'm going to dolly across here. I could never do it that way. I would want, you know, I, as a performer, I want to come into a room and say, can I feel the space for a minute and tell you where I'm drawn to? And Mm -hmm. let's see if we can, you know, find something where we all feel really organically
1: happy. Yeah. And you're also making the sort of films where you can do that. Exactly. I mean, you're not making a space epic where you have to hit the mark because CG is going in later. Good point. Good point. But I think, you know, like we hear about that from directors is there are technical guys and there are actor guys and there are emotionally driven guys. And, you know, it's it's just about approach.
0: Yeah. And I think on Survivor, the greatest lesson we've all had is from Mark Burnett, uh, our mentor, who... He didn't hesitate if it was you know, eight in the morning and especially in the first few seasons when we were kind of still creating it as it went, he would say, okay, you know, if this is what we should be doing today and, and here's a way we should tease the reward or whatever it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If at noon, the survivors were walking in and I could see them walking in and Mark had a better idea. He didn't hesitate to get up in my ear and say, you know, instead, <laughs> oh, 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 why don't you do this? And he really taught us, you're never locked in. It's a living, breathing, moving thing at all times, always. And just keep shooting. Always shoot. You never, we never have ever missed a shoot day on Survivor, no matter what, ever. And we hopefully never will. But that was his advice. Never stop shooting, Mm -hmm. but don't ever get locked in. Sure.
1: Just watch what's happening. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think it's a good lesson for... Writing a screenplay, too. there There is an aspect of improvisation about it. Right. Even if you have your outline, there's this improvisational aspect that makes it not feel dead, right? Yeah. It makes it feel like a living thing. I think that's why that whole idea of
0: outlining so thoroughly, while it sounds great in theory, yeah. can really be debilitating because you might not know how the second half— of act two is going to go yet or how it's even going to end. You might really want to, you might surprise yourself, but if you have enough confidence that the world is there and the, the obstacle and and the
1: need or everything's there, it's, it will reveal itself. Mm -hmm. You just got to dig. Do you, do you get this thing that a lot of writers talk about when writing a screenplay uh, where the characters tell you what to do? Do you feel that? Well, you know, I
0: haven't written a screenplay in a while and the one I, just finished was based on these, this kid's adventure series, Stranded. So we had written the books first. So this was more of an adaptation, but yes, I do know what you're saying. And yeah, I, I subscribe to that because I think if you really are building a real person and not a character based on another movie, which amazes me how many (laughs) times I hear people say he's like the guy from, Yeah, (laughs) how how about the guy from the 7-Eleven? You're going to have more. Uh, absolutely uh, rich richness of material there yeah i think they talk to you i was just listening to tarantino talk about the hateful eight and i mean i'm a big tarantino fan because he's just so inventive and and original and i
1: completely believe that he sits in his backyard and these voices talk to him. oh i feel like more than any other screenwriter out there is you feel that the as much as everything has his voice right as a director right and a writer these characters it feels it feels like they are alive to him i think of that tipping scene in reservoir
0: dogs
2: mm-hmm.
0: where you have like four points yeah. of view in one little scene all coming from tarantino but very distinct voices about why you should tip and why you shouldn't tip as a great example of really of simple but wonderful writing
1: absolutely right that's a, that's a that's a smart thing to look at Guys, writers, go look at that scene. That's <laughs> actually I haven't thought about that in a long time. Um, let's pick up. Let's let's get through some of this bio, okay. biographical stuff because I'm curious about it. Um, so you started doing some on camera work. Sort of got to know the business, right? Um, and I and I imagine that's that is where you got to know the business side of the business, definitely. And that's where I started learning about
0: budgets and because <laughs> I I would they would I became friends with the guys that I worked with. I worked with this one guy, Jim Goulian, for a long time in Seattle. And he was another mentor of mine, and he would sort of trade me advice and access for doing his shows. (laughs) And it became this mentor relationship where I was watching him direct, but he was directing me. And so it was a weird thing that I did whatever he wanted me to do and tried to please him. But I was also just watching how he Mm -hmm. was maneuvering me to get me to do what he wanted. That's interesting. And he knew that's what was happening. He was letting me (laughs) in. There are layers on layers here. (laughs) Yeah, but it was really cool. I mean, I did that for years. I made so much money doing corporate (laughs) videos in
1: Seattle and learning at the same time. So what were things you learned about directing from him, directing actors specifically? Well,
0: he was really good, really good with making you think it was your idea, Mm -hmm. even though now that I know him... (laughs) It was never my idea. It was sure. always his idea. A good
1: director is great at that.
0: Yeah. And and in that same period, I had done a small part on this movie of the week that was shot in Seattle with Jenna Rollins and a couple other people. And I watched the director do the same thing to me and, and I was aware. So I was able to go, oh, she's actually making me think this is my idea. And I'm aware. And so now I'm going to stop this game and I'm going to do what she wants. She's the director. (laughs) And, but all those little pieces, then I feel like they help inform you that when you're, if you get the chance to direct, you can decide what kind of director you want to be. I like it when I feel like I'm included in the process. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not, I, if it's all a facade, I don't care. <laughs> right. I just like going to bed thinking I had something to do sure. with it. <laughs> and Mark Burnett is the same way. He'll tell you brilliant. That was fantastic. It doesn't matter. That, mm-hmm. You know, you don't second guess. You don't want to second guess somebody because then you mess with their mojo. So you've got to make it feel like they're the one who wants to stand right where you're lighted. It's
1: perfect. <laughs> it Totally. makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Absolutely. Um, so so, what came next? What was this f x job
0: f x was um the f x network yeah when it first started in ninety four it was a live twenty four hour network. It was live all day and all night. It was never not live. What? no one watched it. That's why the what <laughs> what was on it uh there were there was a morning show like the Today show mm-hmm. or any with Tom Bergeron, who now really uh, yeah he was there. And Phil Kogan from Amazing Race Mm -hmm. was there. And then there was a pet show, like how to take care of your pets. There was a collectible show. Oh, my God. And then I hosted a show late at night, a music show. And all of it is live. Mm -hmm. So whatever happens is happening. And so at 11 to midnight every night, we would have bands come in and play. And you'd have things happen like on uh, Dave Mustaine came in from Megadeth, and he was still in a really bad place with drugs. He took us on his tour bus and started telling us the most graphic stories of what goes down in the tour bus. I then saw him, to his credit, I then saw him a few years later when I was hosting Rock and Roll Jeopardy, which was a Jeopardy version (laughs) for for music. And he was a guest, and I said, you know, the last time I saw you, you won't remember this, but (laughs) I remember because you're Dave Mustaine. Uh, I was in New York hosting a show, and you gave me a tour on your tour bus, and he stopped and he looked at me and he said— I owe, you an, I owe you an apology. That was, wow. that was one of the last of my dark, dark weekends. Mm-hmm. And it That's was wild. Yeah. And so that was FX. And nobody saw it. And we were in Manhattan and it wasn't on in Manhattan. So you couldn't even get any guests to come because they didn't even know what the hell you were talking about. How bizarre. But Ben, <laughs> to our theme of the day, which is just do it. <laughs> the guy who ran the network was Peter Feynman and this other guy, J.B. Blunk. And they both said the same thing. Try anything you want. If it works, do it again. If it doesn't, wow. try something else. So you could be in the middle of an afternoon. If it was your shift to sort of host the channel during the afternoon, like I did one day, I saw a cab accident right on twenty sixth and fifth, and took the camera crew, walked down, we're live. Cabby from you know wow. one country versus a cabby from another country, and they're talking, and they see a camera, and they they just start talking to you. It was like <laughs> reality TV, sort of. But I've had this, this really beautiful luck to just find people who kept saying, just try things. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. What an amazing way to learn and make your way. Incredible. In the business. And And most of them fail.
0: I mean, i look back on a lot of those things and think that was the dumbest idea. I was terrible. The idea was terrible.
1: The execution was horrible. But. But you have to do that. Right. That's how you learn. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, how are you going to be ready for when the break does come? You know the one that the one that matters, and you never know what that one. Well, I have a
0: question for you. Do you, at this point in your career, (laughs) are you comfortable sending out a
1: really rough version of a script to other writers? To a few other writers, yeah. But I also have the advantage of working with a writing partner, where you know we have our own little writers' room. Everything gets vetted by first, yeah, right, by each other. Everything has to pass that test, and I think we're tougher on each other than anyone else would be on us. If there was one thing I could develop or change in the creative community,
0: it would be the fear of letting someone see a work too early Mm -hmm. for fear of being judged because you send your script out, you know, it's not ready, but you just want, you want an overall take. Mm -hmm. Am I heading in a direction? Does it make sense? Do you feel like there's something here? But then the, the other writer feels compelled to give you notes because that's what they think you really want. Right. And, and it is in a way, but you don't really want notes yet. But then you don't want yeah. them to think you're not as good a writer as you think you are. <laughs> exactly. And I have a friend, Tom Mullen, and he's, he's, he and his brother, Tim Mullen, are great writers. They've sold a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll send him stuff early. And he always shakes his head at me like, I can't believe you would send me this in this shape. <laughs> And I feel like, Ben, that that is the magic of having a community Yeah, that we can just push each other along without there being any fear that you're going to be judged or...
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's that's what makes it such a strange job, right? Like, there's so much personal business tied up in the mm. thing that you make, and there's so much... Emotionally yeah. at stake. I mean, if you're doing it right, yeah, yeah I think, right. In, in, the th- in creating the thing. Uh, you know, my parents are bakers, and I don't think they worry when they're like making a new cookie about it's not going to hurt them personally if if this one doesn't work. It's maybe it needs more salt, maybe it mm-hmm. needs more sugar, whatever it is. Um, but you think because, because the writing so much, is so personal, yeah. that that's the added. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is an expression of self right this is me especially in the early drafts this is me laid bare on the page judge it please that's a hard thing to ask
0: well the reason i think it's on top of mind for me is i sent a tv pilot to a writer that i really respect and has written a lot of stuff and uh simultaneously, I was stuck at this point on Stranded and I couldn't figure it out. And it was basically the end of the second act. And I just I, I I, knew I knew what it needed to be, but I didn't know what it how it should be written yeah. or how you should dramatize it. And I sent this just so then I just I was talking to, to my friend. I said, oh, I'm going to send you this thing. And he, he called me back and he had s- such positive feedback for me that. I went and sat down at the coffee shop and solved that second act problem. And I said to my wife, isn't it amazing? Like, what if he was just being nice to be nice and encourage me because he's a very established writer and I'm not, and he didn't want to send me down a rabbit hole, but the placebo effect was, Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm not horrible. Oh, here's the problem. And so if, if you, if we could just look at our community that way and say, you don't have to bullshit each other. Right. But you also don't have to say page one and start on a th- hundred pages of notes. You can say, dude, I love where you're going. These characters mm-hmm. are really fun. I really like this. You're just looking for encouragement. Yeah. Here's Am I the just thing being a pussy with this?
1: No, I don't, I don't think so. Especially again, in the early phase, when it's something you believe in to have someone say, I like this, let's see more of it. Right. Or exactly. Pull this, out. <clears throat> this really works. Highlight it, whatever it is, before you start getting into the nitty. Yeah. yeah. Like, pair back your, your descriptions and right. things like that. Like, I know, I get it. I know what my ticks are. <laughs> right. right. That's right. You know? Um, so, Survivor happened around 99, 2000. Right. Um, I want to jump way ahead because you've mentioned Stranded a couple times. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this book series, which you have co written, right. correct? Uh, this is a young adult series. Yeah. How did these even happen? Well, the the guy I write with, Chris Tebbets mm-hmm. um,
0: is, is who the co-writer is. Uh, it came from my wife saying, because there's so many kids that watch Survivor. Mm-hmm. And we've had this infusion of 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids. And I talk to them all day, every day of the week, kids come up to me. And they have this wide-eyed <laughs> wonder. And they get the show. They get it on a much more adult level than I think I would have ever Guess. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. They do. They know who a villain is. They know who the hero Fine. is. They know what's appropriate and inappropriate. And they know they love Joe, <laughs> who was the guy that was on last yep. year. Um, but so my wife said, why don't you write Survivor for kids? <laughs> oh my God, that's the greatest idea ever. So we went to a publisher and they said, yes, that's a great idea. And we came up with the name Stranded. And then they sent me five or six books by other writers. Mm -hmm. And I read Chris's writing and he's a fantastic Mm -hmm. writer. And, and then I met him and he said, well, I also have to tell you, I don't know if this is good or bad. I'm a, I'm a massive survivor fan. I go, we're done. We speak (laughs) the same language. This is it. And another mentor I'd never written in the novel genre. I didn't know how to write. Those seem so intimidating to me. Completely different. And after writing of this, and then going to a screenplay, the present tense just even that oh, is a complete mind yeah. flip, your interior, your interior with these guys in the, in the novel, you can say he's thinking this, he wishes Ooh. that he doesn't know how to. So Chris taught me a ton about how to write that way. And, and so we wrote these books and we didn't know the first series, how it would do. It was one adventure and it was a New York times bestseller in its, in yeah. its class And so we wrote Mm -hmm. another series and they're trilogies. Mm -hmm. So there's six books out now. And it's just uh, the idea is that kids having, it's about four kids uh, who go out on a sailing adventure. They're from a blended family, a boy and a girl and a boy and a girl, their their parents marry. And so they want them to get to know each other and they go on this big sailing adventure and they end up stranded alone on an island like Survivor and they got to figure
1: it out. Let me ask, I want to just back up a little bit. Was that what you pitched to the publisher? I mean like how how fully formed was that pitch when you brought it to them?
0: Uh I think that was it. Yeah, because we knew we were I'm a blended I'm within okay. a blended family. And so that was a big thing for for both Lisa and my wife and I is that there was nothing on the bookshelf fiction about blended families. Nothing. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a giant market. <laughs> there's all kinds of self-help. So you have a new brother. Right. How do you say hi to your after new after-school special
1: type books,
0: but... Yeah, but there's nothing about... No, we're a blended right. family. It's a matter of fact. Yeah, that's exactly. Now let's have an adventure together. Right. So this story is about how this uh, conflict will bring this brother and sister combo together. And they'll learn that their differences are actually going to accentuate each other's positives. And they're going to be stronger Mm -hmm. as a unit and a family. By the time it's over, they start out not liking each other, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, that was pretty much a pitch. My dad was with me, excuse me. We'd gone to New York. I'd gone to New York to do a few pitches. Mm -hmm. And my dad met me in New York just to go hang out together. And he was in there with me. And we walked out, funny. and he said, "Is that really how it goes? Twenty minutes, and you have a book deal?" And I go,
1: "Nope, never happened before, <laughs> but oh happened today." That, well, look, I mean, you had Survivor behind you. Yeah, you were doing something that made sense coming. Yeah, out it was a that. good marriage. But also, it's you know, the concept is so pure. Yeah, I mean, the blended family gives it a nice, first contemporary, but also slightly different feel to it. It's yeah. not Swiss Family Robinson. Right. There's no parents. There's no parents, which is cool. Um, also, the did you have the characters at that time? Did you know what they were? Pretty when, when much. I mean, them? Chris
0: and I did build them together, but yeah. what he did, which was great, was he just said, tell them, you know, let me just take notes, catch me up on your kids, hmm. because two of them are based on our kids, Michael oh, and Eva. And then the other two became a composite of our cousins. And, as we sort of talked about it, there was this very natural, very distinct four people, hmm. different ages, that bring different things to the story. And it made it so easy to write because I'd say, here's what Ava would do.
2: Yeah, uh, Michael would say
0: this. <laughs> Alyssa would say that. Amanda would do this. And it became really, really fun. And the other fun part about writing with Chris is I could call him and say, I just had, the, I, I had an idea for the entire second series. What if... And he would, you know, I would just talk and then he would take it all down. He'd say, "Okay, let me (laughs) digest this. Mm -hmm. And then he'd write me back a couple days later with his additions to it. And we would have this beautiful thing.
1: That's great. Yeah, Yeah, that's that part of the collaboration is really cool. Whatever. So
0: fun. Yeah. And it requires both people
1: being open to the other idea. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to trust him to tell him the story. He has to, you know, not shut it down immediately. Yeah. Um, How did you guys work together? Was it a lot of talking things out? Was, you know, what was the process like?
0: Yeah, it was, we would talk for, especially in the beginning, we talked quite a bit and I would usually just sit out in the backyard and I think he was sitting at his computer and I would say, here's, you know, here's what I'm thinking or here are the things that happened on Survivor that we can exploit. And, And because we had
1: that shorthand, it really made it easy and what, what were those things I'm curious about? Cause you are, you know, the impetus for this was kids are survivor fans. right? So what were the things that they the, were the responding big, to that you wanted to put the in? The
0: big umbrella was they want adventure and they're getting it in some sense through, through games, mm-hmm. video games, but this is real. That's a cut on your finger. It will become an infection. You could die. So, I would have gone, if they had been older kids, I would have taken it much, much, even much uh, more adventure. But they're 9, 11, 11, and 13. But the things were like making fire. That was always going to be a big ordeal. It's not easy. And you think
1: it's easy because you watch Tom Hanks. Well, actually, he really earned (laughs) it. But Well, I'll say even like you watch Survivor and you make a big deal out of it. It's huge. And I think because we've seen so many seasons now, we're like, oh, they can make a fire. But- but it the is truth hard. is
0: it's hard yeah. and it's, this, it's new people trying to do it mm-hmm. and they think they know how to do it and or they took a workshop on a Saturday and the guy had perfect wood right. ready to go. Well, now they're in a wet jungle and they don't have right. the, the, the perfect uh, elements to do it. So things like making fire or uh, catching a fish, that was a big mm. deal. How to make a Hawaiian sling. What could they okay. salvage from the shipwreck yeah. that would really make a Hawaiian sling? And so we just examined a boat and said, if there had been a window, which there was, and they got a little piece of the rubber seal around it, and they find the right stick or maybe a piece from the boat, they could actually make something sharpen the end and turn it into a Hawaiian sling. And wouldn't it be cool to see one of them go underwater and actually spear a fish? And then they've made a fire, and now they're cooking the fish. (laughs) And they look at each other going, oh, my God. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. There isn't a kid, I know there isn't a kid between the ages of 7 and 13 that doesn't want to go do that right now yes. for real.
1: Totally. That's, and that is um, that's something that I liked in the book, and I wonder if this is a part of what interests you is that puzzle aspect. You know, in addition to the interpersonal stuff, right. there's the idea of we have this object to work with. Right. Right now, how do we survive with these tools and that's it, and creating something out of what we have hundred percent yeah yeah, in fact, I
0: just we had a creative call with our team the other day for survivor, and I, I threw out an idea that's very much that I mean, just without giving it away, but something that what if we gave each tribe a situation in which they had a limited amount of things to work with, and but they had to do this one thing mm-hmm. because it forces you to draw on everybody's experiences together to figure out how a water bottle mm-hmm. well there's a plastic bottle there's a cap there's a there's a, a label what can we do with this stuff yeah. and there's a lot of things you could do with it if you can open your yeah. mind to and it's it.
1: funny it does speak to character too i think that's really interesting and i think that's something you do well in stranded and it's something obviously we see on survivor that what is the life experience this person's bringing and how do they apply that to the problem at hand?
0: Yeah. That's an interesting thing. Well, it's like when we did Brains, Brawn and Beauty on Survivor and the the one mm-hmm. criticism people said before they saw the season was, how is beauty a quality that you rely on? Mm-hmm. And I was flabbergasted by that. Have you never seen a door open for a hot chick? <laughs> That's currency, brother. Yeah. Beauty. And it comes, beauty can be from the inside. It can be from the outside. But. That idea that that beauty is not a quality always kind of stunned me. And then our show went on to show, oh, it's definitely a quality absolutely, and it impacts. You have a 20 year old girl who's used to the door opening because she's pretty on Survivor. A, there are no doors and B, no one cares. <laughs> You're just an <laughs> obstacle in my way to a million right. dollars. And she has to re-rack her whole brain. <laughs> Rack, I don't know, Freudian slip, possibly. She she has to see things differently and realize what other qualities mm-hmm. do I have because I've always relied on yeah. my
1: looks. Yeah, you're almost taking away the toolbox. Yes. And, and uh, making them rely on other things, which I thought was interesting in um – The blue collar or white collar also. Yeah. What what skills does everyone have and what do they think they have?
0: And what do you need to get to the end? Because you can't just get there as a blue collar. You have to get there with the help of other people. It's also fascinating when you do things like uh, Brains, Brawn, and Beauty and you have six super smart people that make the dumbest decisions. Why is that?
1: It's satisfying as a viewer, I'll tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you're going to see it again this season. We have a brain tribe and the guy says, like on the first day or two, he says, I can't believe... I'm watching this and I'm a part of it. It's the same thing that happened last time. A group of smart people make the dumbest decisions it's together. It's really
1: funny. It's really funny. And it's, it's so much of it. I mean, like you started out saying, it's about the interpersonal yeah. relationships. It's, yeah. How you are in the office doesn't apply here. No. It's uh, interesting. Anyway, I want to say one more thing about Stranded, um, which I really loved, which is which is those the interpersonal stuff, is oh, the cool. kids bounce off each other in such a realistic way. Uh, it's, it's just fun to read. Oh, that's I recommend great. it to anyone. Oh, thanks. You know, like well, you said, nice. 10 to 13. Um, there was a great scene in there and I do think of them as scenes because the book moves and like it's action, uh, when the tide is coming in. Right. And, uh, these, the brother I think it's the brother and sister are trying to cross yeah. the jetty and uh-huh. start to get pulled by the current. That's terrifying. Yeah. Well, and that came from, we were
0: somewhere I can't remember where we were, but that is pretty much exactly what happened to a group of us who were traversing this, what looked to be about a 15 foot wide with a good little current of water, but it was only like knee deep. And you thought, this isn't that big a deal. And we got in it and realized, oh, my God, if we slip and fall on our butt, that current will take yeah. us and we're up and over this little waterfall. That's wild. And it was it was a great reminder of you think you're so <laughs> you're, you're so confident out here. Mother Nature will kick your ass anytime she wants. That's really funny. So you mentioned, like, what are the things that end up in the book? That was fun to do with Chris is just sit and say, here's another, here's another one. Here's something else that happened. Here's something that happened one time in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then we started slowly piecing together the things that seemed to make sense for a structure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's neat. Yeah.
1: And, there, and like you said, it's, tri- how many trilogies? It's, it's two
0: trilogies. Okay. okay, that's great. I didn't like the trilogy idea, but that Why was not? what the publisher wanted. Um, I feel like today's pace is too fast for me to read a book and then put it down and pick up a second book and put it down and pick up a That's third book, just put it together. I would have done it <laughs> one adventure. Is that how you wrote it? Is that That's how. You guys how we,
1: wrote well, we wrote it as one.
0: We f- uh, structured it as right. one, and then said, "Why don't we break book one here? Mm-hmm. Break almost like a movie, mm-hmm. really."
1: Yeah, I mean, it does feel the first book feels like the first act. Yeah, although it is an interesting thing because it is just about surviving. It's not about finding the tools. It's not about ingenuity at that point. Right. It's about how are we going to live to the next day? Yeah. Which is cool.
0: And that was a balance of making sure there was enough happening. Mm-hmm. But the second trilogy is a massive adventure. Oh, more characters come in. There's a love story. There's a villain. There's a giant challenge they have to overcome. And it's it fulfills much more of the original idea, which was the longer they're out here, the bigger the journey is going to become neat and they'll never go home the same way.
1: And you're in the process of adapting this. Yeah. How is that going? Um, it's going great because <laughs> I, because just cause it's fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I well, mean, you know, the characters, you know, the structure, although I imagine you had to do some sort of yeah, rethink on it.
0: Yeah. Because it's six books.
1: <clears> and so you have to really
0: book one. I mean, uh, the first trilogy <laughs> becomes book uh, becomes the first act really. Oh, wow. So you have, because you can only watch people make fire and, you know, sure. for so long before you got it. <clears throat> so yeah, it's been fun and I have a great group. I'm, I'm teamed up with, uh, the Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec and Jeff Pinkner and Scott Rosenberg. Great, yeah, great, group, great writers. So I have once again, mentors teaching me yeah. how to do this, vetting me in the room. When we go out to talk to people about doing it, I've got this team I'm with. It's not just me. And I'm once again, the weak link,
1: which is <laughs> where I like to be. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's less pressure, first of all. <laughs> well, and you, but you learn so much from that. You right? learn so much. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, so are you, are you guys pitching to studios or are you pitching to distributors or something like that? Well, it's for we, film, right? Yeah. We pitched a couple of people and then
0: quickly realized that, in this climate, even though there was definite interest and we would go back to those same yeah. people, we need to finish the screenplay. We yeah. need to come in. It's not a development world. And even Absolutely. though we have the IP, we need the finished screenplay. Yeah. We even talked to CBS about doing it as a TV show. Mm-hmm. I
1: wondered that because yeah. it feels like it would lend itself to it. Although it's a lot to have young kids and it's a big story to try to do. Yeah. And they brought us in and, and I don't know
0: if that's, something that probably makes sense just when we talked creatively, we were at slightly different places, but Mm. it was after that meeting that we said, let's just define it. Let's finish the screenplay. So this is what it is. Yeah. And then hopefully we'll find, we'll find
1: the team that, that makes sense. The reason I asked about pitching is I wanted to hear about how you, how you are as a pitcher, how, how you find pitching. I mean, you've hosted, right? Uh, you're in a room with a bunch of writers and producers who are on your team how does it go? I mean, pitching is is hard.
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot like Survivor. You've got to be able to read a room quickly. <laughs> yeah. Some people don't mind uh, or, or maybe even desire a detailed pitch. Other people, you can tell. We went into one room, and I will not say who it was, but the worst pitch I've, I've ever Why? experienced. Oh, God, it just <laughs> looks like PTSD. And we went in, and the person said, first of all, I don't like to be pitched. Okay, and so we're sitting sitting there thinking, well, man, okay, I'm trying to quickly catch up to what this means because this is scheduled as a pitch. So and what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And they said, well, I just really don't want to hear about what it's about. And I'm like, oh my god, what? What? Are, and it did. It ended up being the worst pitch I've ever experienced. Well, sure. And, but you ask how pitching goes to me, that's as valuable as anything because you have your game plan and you rehearse it and you say, okay, I'll hit this beat and you'll pick up right. this and you jump ahead here. If it's waning all of those little shortcuts, but you can still walk into a room and have somebody say, you know, blue, and right? You're going, what? <laughs> I, what's blue? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh so God. I don't know. I have friends that, you know, pitch a lot and I watch how they pitch mm-hmm. and everybody has a different style yeah. in how they pitch. And so I'm not trying to avoid the question. I'm just saying (laughs) I tend to be a uh, try to get at the story as fast as possible, you know, and hook them in. But, man, you can feel the worst is when you feel somebody already wanting to check their phone and, you know, their eyes are glassing over and you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm 14 seconds in. I'm really (laughs) off to a bad start here.
2: That's brutal.
0: Yeah. Brutal. Luckily, you have your day job. Um, <laughs> yes, there is that. You can always get back in your car and go, thank God I still have Survivor. Because <laughs> if I had to make my living based on this, I'd be poor.
1: <laughs> what? Uh, let's get into Survivor. Uh, we yeah. talked a little bit about how you, know, you guys started to discover the show, and I feel like that kind of stuff is out there. But I'm really curious to hear about creating the story of the show, which seems to start with casting. Right. Uh, and finding these personalities. And I'm sure you've been surprised over the years by people who Are not what you guys expect. Totally. Often. Yeah. Yeah. The casting
0: is really, I think it's the most important quality or or component next to the format. Mm -hmm. And Lynn Spillman is our casting director and she's phenomenal. Has she been there the whole time? The whole time. That's great. She knows that show so well. She knows who's going to work. She knows when people are putting on and she can say, I know you're going to love this person. I'm telling you, it's not them. Funny. It's a bunch of bullshit. And I'm going to break them down and I'm going to show
1: you. <laughs> what is that like? I know you got, you've talked about this before. I think I've even read this stuff before. But what is that process like? You know, once you're past the initial phase and here's a pool that we're interested right. in. It really, it's, how it, does she break them down? <laughs> well, she brings them in.
0: She would object to me saying Mm -hmm. she's going to break them down. I should just say she's very good at at separating the -hmm. truth from the BS because some people are very good at showing you something that you want. Mm -hmm. And our job is to make sure it's really them. And we we, so we bring them into a room and we meet with them in in groups. I'll, you know, usually I myself and another executive producer or a couple of producers will meet with them. And then we bring them to CBS and then we'll bring them to, to the president, to Glenn Geller. Mm -hmm. Now it used to be Nina Tassler. Mm -hmm. So there's phases and they're getting weeded out along the way. So that by the time we present to Glenn, we're saying, these are people that we think we should look at together as a group now and make a decision. It doesn't mean we think they should all be on the show, but this is a collection and we can figure out how they do today. And So that process is really an interview. They come in and we just talk. Mm -hmm. Some people come in and take over the room and they sit down and they go, let me tell you about myself. My name is John. I'm a firefighter from Detroit. You know, I know I'd be good on Survivor. Other people, you you talk about a story that happened to them, but you can tell within about (sighs) five to 10 seconds that this person is either somebody we should consider or probably just will never be on the show. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're a good person or a bad person. It's just the ability to tell a compelling story. You can come in and talk about the most tragic thing that's ever happened and put us to sleep. Or somebody can come in and talk about the, you know, the cookie they just ate (laughs) and you're on the floor. The guy that's going to get on the show is the one that puts you on the floor. Sure.
1: Sure. I mean, it it sounds like it's a lot like any kind of casting or even, you know, trying to, Get a staff job. It's, are you the right person at the right time? Yeah. Do you have the goods? Right. And it's not always up to you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's true. So you put this group together. What happens next? Like, how do, how do... Well, in the last... You've been running the show, right, Right. for the past few years. And so how does a season start to take place, whether it's a thematic
0: Well, a lot of times the theme will come from the cast. Oh, interesting. Sometimes we just start, like with Brains, Brawn, and Beauty... We just started looking at the people and realizing we have a lot of smart people. These guys are all super tough. (laughs) He's handsome. She's attractive. (laughs) Maybe there's something here. And that's often how it happens is that they will. We have only rarely cast to a theme Mm -hmm. where we say we're going to do this. And it doesn't work because then you find yourself, we don't have enough. Uh, smart people. And you got to start finding a smart person versus here are the best people. Mm -hmm. Now, how, how should we divide them? So once we know what the theme is, really our creative process is most of our people are all over the country. And so we'll just set up a creative call and we'll say, you know, I'll usually start by having a, a, a handful of ideas that That I'm interested in for the show Let's try to do this this year Like with Second Chance, the big theme was Let them play And everything that I kept saying to our guys was We have to create more and more ways to let them play They want to play They've been waiting to play Let's give them the tools to play and see what they do with it And then the next season might be Like this season, we had a big deal on idols We wanted to make Finding the idols even more difficult Mm -hmm. And so we, we brainstorm on ways to do it but when we look at it from a twist point of view, we're only looking for one or two tiny adjustments. Mm-hmm. So we might come up with 10 to 50. And some of them are just like they're not ready yet, but you know there's something here, but it's not this season. And it's amazing how many times it'll get pitched again the next year. We we have a guy on our on our uh team, John Kerhofer, who's been there from the beginning, and he kept pitching vote out, vote out, get rid of a jury member. <laughs> and he's pitched it for years and years and years and years. And sooner or later, That's it's going to find sure. its way into the show. Absolutely. So you just keep this whiteboard of ideas. Okay. But it's really casual. But and it's it,
1: funny. I mean, it sounds like, I apologize for yeah. interrupting, but um, it sounds like that aspect of it, the, which is kind of the, the show aspect, right? right? The gameplay aspect right. is about the audience. Yes. It's less about the the cast. It's less about the, the survivor. Totally. It's for the audience. Yeah. Yes. Because what you guys are counting on is we've assembled this great cast who are going to create all the drama we need. Right. Uh, so we'll put, we'll throw in these little things to up that a little bit, but mostly that's f- so the audience gets something new.
0: Yeah. That's that. And those little things will twist the show. Right. So they do work hand in hand, but yes, sure. the audience always wants to know what's different. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. You know, they want the same thing, only different. Absolutely. Always. And that's a fair request. And that's our job. And so far we've managed to do it. Same thing. You hear the survivor theme song. If you're a survivor fan, it's like the Monday night football. If you're (laughs) a football fan, you just, you're like, I'm in. Yeah. Can't promise you this will be the greatest season. Don't know where it's going to fall, but I can promise you it's the same team. It's the same group of people creating it, but we have a new group of players, yeah. and I hope you like it. And I feel like we've been on a really good creative run for a while, and it's because we we treat Survivor like it's this glass ball. I look at it as the single greatest thing in my career that will ever happen to me. I'll never get this kind of a job again, sure, ever. So
1: I don't want to. Dr- I don't want to be the one to drop it. <laughs> you know. Have there been times, I mean, you guys have done how many? 20 seasons? 32. Jesus. Yeah. I blacked out in the middle. Yeah, it's okay. It (laughs) happens. Um, that's unbelievable. Oh, right. 16 years. Yeah. Uh, have there been seasons when you're at this point, you, you've got what you think is your cast, right? You have some, some things to throw in to make the, the, uh, season a little different. And Things fall apart, or things don't go as planned as they tend not yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, I we where we're at right now for next year
0: is we just got our second season approved, which is like lifting the biggest boulder for me anyway off of my shoulders that we're approved with our general creative. Mm-hmm. So now we can go put the people that we want on that show, and then we can figure out how to execute oh, the wow. twists within it. But those big tent poles are: you are approved for this title, which means this mm-hmm. theme, and you're approved for this title, which means this theme. Those are the big, giant yeah. uh, lights shining uh, down that allow you to do everything else. Yeah. But yeah, we've definitely had things that that they just don't they just don't feel right, or they're not gelling together, and there's no way around it. You just got to keep working. Mm-hmm. You just keep pounding it.
1: Sure. I'm, I'm, Oh, go ahead. It it feels like it's that that improv improv sort of learning that you did that like you can deal with this stuff. Yeah, we'll get. We're gonna make it a better show. The one thing we never do is we never
0: never do anything that will damage the integrity of the show Mm -hmm. we never do anything to cheat we'd never do anything mid-season because we really like Ozzy Mm -hmm. why don't we start putting some more deep dive swimming challenges in that only he can win (laughs) that never happens and I think that is the one of the big reasons that in this era of reality in which people know they're watching scripted Mm -hmm. they can tell the Kardashians Don't have this life every day. It's in. No one does. Yeah. This wasn't an issue in 2000. Right. Which is interesting. Right. But,
1: because of what you guys did. <laughs> <laughs> now you now, have
0: to. Yeah. It's a different world. And I think the fact that Survivor is so real mm-hmm. is why it feels so real. Sure. Nobody ever questions. Oh, nobody would have ever said that. No, he said it. He's Mm -hmm. on camera saying it and now he's crying about it. And that's because he's breaking down and because he's been deprived of a lot and he's away from home and he doesn't know who to all these elements are conspiring to create this truth. But I think that short of that, then until the game starts, like Mark taught us, you can do whatever you want Hmm. at midnight before day one. We can change the entire creative. Sure. As long as it's not doing anything to change the integrity of the game. If we have a better idea. But we're pretty good at this point. We are pretty good about knowing what we think we can execute and what we can't and what our guys in the field can shoot and what's impossible to shoot and the stories we can
1: get the interviews. What is impossible to shoot?
0: That's interesting to me. Well, I don't know that we've, I don't know if I have an example, but just meaning like you do have to be able to execute an idea with the tools that you have. Mm -hmm. So shooting a challenge in a circle is very difficult. Where are you going to put the cameras? You know, there are
1: certain things that you totally practical concern,
0: right? We have a scene in the very first, in the premiere of this season in which there's a, it's a graphic thing. A a bug ends up inside a worm inside ends up inside a woman's ear and it's really gnarly. And we have the shot of it and And you expect to see that shot on Survivor and you better have that shot. But every time I see that shot, I write our DP who heads up the reality teams and go, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you don't mess up the reality. Don't screw up what is happening and yet manage to get a lens in there so that we can see what's driving her insane. And that's honestly Ben, that is at the end of the of a day on Survivor. And I think this is universal for our crew. We all kind of slap ourselves on the back, (laughs) you know, as if to say, "God, we did it again. Mm -hmm. I mean, we actually, it was pouring down rain. Then it was 130 degrees. There was a worm crawling out of a woman's ear. One of the cameramen was throwing up from the heat. We lost another piece of gear due to the rain and we still got the shot. Oh my God. And then the reality guys come back and go to the bar. Our little, we always have a little makeshift bar that Mm -hmm. we put on our islands and they slam a couple of beers and go,
2: let's get
1: some sleep and do it again tomorrow.
2: It's unbelievable. It's so
1: fun. It's it's really cool. I mean and is that I'm sure this information exists somewhere but like is that the day to day of it is a bunch of cameras following everybody around uh and you're kind of just kind of doing this in shifts you're covering forever. And yeah,
0: it is, although it's not nearly as many cameras as you would think. It's a really yeah. weird deal. Our crew is over 300. Mm-hmm. Plus with locals we get close to 400 people. Wow. of those people are the infrastructure Mm -hmm. to pay the bills, to have toilets, to have our Marine Department, our transportation, our safety, our security, all that stuff. There's only a few people on the beach. It is cinema verite. It's very quiet. There's no talking. Cameramen are never talking Mm -hmm. to the producers. We have a producer overseeing each beach. On the beach? On the beach. And they'll have a headset yeah. and they'll be talking. Hey, there's somebody just took off. They might be looking for an idol. I don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing. Will you go grab them? And and the cameramen are saying, listen, you go left. I'll go right. I'll get the wide. You get the what they're doing, whatever they is they do, whatever mm-hmm. it is they do. But there's no. Sure. There's no talking. You would never hear cut or rolling or tape change or any of that stuff. It is purely observation. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm blown away at the coverage Yeah, I used to in the beginning go and look at raw footage from camera operators because I was mesmerized by how effort, how seamlessly our scenes cut, Hmm. even though there's no cover, there is no blocking, right? nobody saying, hey, can I get over the shoulder? And you say that again, that doesn't happen. And you look at what these guys do in the lens, how quickly they can sense that the next 15 seconds of what he's saying are going to be blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tilt down now and get a shot of his hands which are really nervous. And then I'm going to tilt hmm. back up to his face. And if I get lucky, I'll catch him at a time where we right. come they have this crazy sense of story. Yeah. To know when to go to an over the shoulder, when to come back to a close up. And it you could almost cut a scene in their their camera, one camera.
1: Were they especially early on were they documentary uh camera guys? A lot of guys yeah, come that from sense. that world. Yeah. yeah. Um what are you doing during all this and how soon how early do you start looking at that footage to try to figure out the story of the characters in the season well our process is during the day we're either
0: we're, it's either creative meetings or it's challenges or tribal or rehearsals so we're we're constantly moving we have a, a quite extensive Test block rehearsal uh, process for our challenges sure. where we look at things super early in the workshop. Then we get them up on their feet in the field and we have some people walk through it just to make sure this. Mm-hmm. And then we adjust and Who modify to do that. Uh, we have a dream team. They're called. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. 20. We bring out 20 young people and their job is to practice the challenges. Oh, it's the best job. It's got to be. And talk about soaking up, uh, you know, TV and film. Yeah. A third of our crew last year were former dream teamers. Oh, wow. So That's loyalty correct. is really big on Survivor. This like
1: a good family you guys have going Great there. family. That's really cool.
0: Nobody wants to leave until they can't. You know, the only problem on Survivor is it's hard to move up to a producing position because our producers don't leave. Sure. Our supervising producers, they don't want it. They, they're phenomenal storytellers mm-hmm. that are given this gift of 16 hours or 15 hours of prime time, one hour dramas with 20 characters. Yeah. So nobody wants to give that Sorry, up. Sorry,
1: Shonda Rhimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So our young producers, the, the hardest job we have is keeping them motivated sure. so that we don't lose them to somebody else. And yet when they get a job, you're nothing but happy of because course. they've earned
2: it. Yeah,
1: but, uh, And they have the training now. Like, yeah. you know they're going to go do cool stuff. They're going to do great stuff. It feels good.
0: It feels good for them. Don't <laughs> love it for our competition. <laughs> sure.
1: In fact, I just
0: the other day I sent something out to our creative team and said, "Just a reminder, anything that that we develop is ours." So if you any of you guys go uh-huh. get another great job somewhere, you can't take our whiteboard of ideas. Right. That, of course. Because it's your natural instinct to say, yeah. something we never did on Survivor was Right you know, we need that at some point, yeah, yeah. but and that's, tarant-
1: and that's par for the course on, I should say on like any TV show. Yeah. Is the stuff belongs to the show. Yeah. Relax everybody. There's no dearth of ideas. Right. Exactly. Um, anyway.
0: Well, but so our, our, um, our process. Yeah. It's a, we don't look at footage. Okay. We, um, the producers all get together at the end of the day and do a download, which gets written up in great detail. And it basically says, here are the events that happened today. Here's what people said. Here are the alliances that seem to be happening. Hmm. These are the people that aren't sure what they're doing. This person's on the bottom. And it's amazing when you look at it at the end of it and you have this Bible of 39 days. Yeah. It is amazing how many times in, on day one, the person at the bottom is there at day 39. Wow. You just cannot predict because sure. it only takes one action, one comment, and suddenly somebody else is in the hot seat. And you're, you're out of trouble and you just, <laughs> you know, you hide out until they
1: get voted out and yeah. you, you get a new fresh start. Um, that's an interesting thing. So so that document, is that all you have to go on when you go and interact with the uh, cast? Yeah, I don't even really read the downloads. I don't, I, mean, I don't know
0: nearly as much as, I mean, the downloads are pretty detailed, mm-hmm. but I'll get, I get, In answer to your question of what I know, Mm -hmm. the way that really works is before a challenge, I'll meet with the producers and they'll say, here's what's going on. Julia's in trouble. If they don't win, she might be going home.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. That would be really the big story for the challenge for each tribe. So that I just have an idea who to watch and knowing that they might be feeling some panic, but not giving anything away while you're doing the challenge. And then a tribal, it's whichever producer has that tribe. We sit down before tribal and they say, This is what we think is going to happen. We think Ben's going to be voted out. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's four to three, but Bill is in the middle. And depending on what Sammy says, it could go either way. And our show didn't used to be that way. It didn't used to be so so much of a flow. They tended to be more locked in. Mm -hmm. But in the last several years, Tribal is a living, breathing game changer.
1: Well, and that's the thing I'm really interested in because that's where you are – harnessing story, it feels like. Right. You know, I, and I remember reading very early on that those tribal councils go on for much longer than we. See. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of you moderating, you pulling out from people the stories that they're living, and then that's what is eventually put together to what we see. How does that work? How does the orchestration work? It's um, pretty it's there's in the very very beginning
0: i would write myself little notes and i would try to memorize the six or seven bullet points that i wanted to cover like hmm. i need to make sure that i talk about camp life i need to make sure i talk about because i was still learning sure. what the beats were now it's just so much a part of my you know my cells that i don't really go in with any big idea other than where are we? Mm-hmm. And I think the job is to figure out what each person needs in order to get them to give me what I want. Mm-hmm. And you treat everyone differently. If there's a really good player that knows how to, is good with their words, then they know that every question I give them is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. To further their game. Interesting. If there's somebody that's not very good with their words, I know they're worried. I'm going to ask them a question and they're going to stumble. And I am going to, and you probably will. Interesting. And and there's nothing I can do to help or, and I'm not going to save you. And then there's people in the middle that let their emotions rule them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the gold comes from (laughs) is suddenly you see somebody turn their head and cross their eyes at at somebody and they go, and you go, oh, it's on. Yeah. And you have a million dollars at stake, and you have deprivation. They're not eating. They're not sleeping. They don't necessarily like any of these people. They would never know them in their normal life. They were shoved together yeah. and they're sleeping on bamboo with bugs crawling all over them. And then this idiot is asking me questions, <laughs> which are I don't want to answer because I don't know how to answer them in a way that will not injure my game. Hmm. I think that's what, that's what's fun yeah. about tribal.
1: Absolutely. And I think what what we as viewers respond to is a thing that you mentioned earlier. Is you're there reading the room, right? And you know that's the story you're telling. Yeah. Is how do I, how do I ask the right people the right questions, or in the right way, or give them the opportunity to either shine or not, whatever it is. But it's it's that there has to be some empathy going on there.
0: I have so much empathy. I, I'm I'm an empathetic person. And my wife would say it might be a fault of mine that I'm such a people pleaser that I want everyone to be happy. I hate it when people get voted out on Survivor. I know what they've sacrificed. But when I'm at Tribal, I, I'm an equal opportunity mm-hmm. uh, employer or destroyer. It's up to you. <laughs> right. You can turn this any way you, make you want. make your bed. Yeah. yeah. But my job is to, just like you said, read the room. And I think the thing that I have always enjoyed doing is the game of they don't know the advantage I have is that I'm not playing for a million (laughs) dollars. So you can't vote me out. So I don't have any stakes. (laughs) So it's a very unfair advantage. Absolutely. And, and you don't know what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So I might be asking you one, two, three, four questions that are very pertinent or have absolutely nothing to do Hmm. with anything. But maybe I'm setting you up for the end of tribal when I have one question right before we go to vote that I want to hear you answer. Or maybe it's for two tribals from now. Mm -hmm. It might just be a long play. I think you're going to be in the game a while. Your name never gets brought up. So I'm going to start setting you up as my go-to guy, as a hero, or I'm going to beat you up because you're not giving me – it's just a constant psychological battle of – of parent, lover, friend. Yeah. Am I going to treat you as, as a your parent or your lover or a friend? And I got to figure out
1: which one you respond to. That's really funny. Was there, were there times when you were not getting, or even the producers were not getting what they needed at tribal? Like, have there been particularly frustrating?
0: Yeah, there's times we, we don't have people on anymore.
1: I don't think that, that don't want to talk, mm-hmm. you know, but. Well, people know the show now too, which is a weird shift. Like yeah, they grew up watching the show, and that that has to be a new thing to contend with. I think yeah, that's true. And there were
0: definitely times where there would be early on, as you say, they didn't know the show, and they might give you an answer like, um, "I don't know, Jeff," or "It's just strategy," or "We'll have mm-hmm. to see." And there are many stories that people on the show, on the crew would tell you, where I would say, <laughs> you know, I would I, I at a certain point too will get desperate. And I'll pull out the biggest guns I have, which then get really personal. Like, let me tell you how this is going to go. You're going to keep saying that a, you're not going to end up on the show. You're, you're not even in a scene yet. Okay. So you, this idea of you being at home with your friends and your popcorn, you won't be there. We started with 20. You'll only see 19 who will be missing you. That's not an answer. So I'm going to ask you again, why are you thinking what you're thinking? I'll go to that place of. Trying sheer intimidation, (laughs) but we don't really have that anymore because, as you say, people know the show, and they also know that there's a way to use tribal Mm -hmm. to their advantage. And the ones that know that do it. The ones that don't stumble, and those in the middle let their emotions rule them. And we don't really have anybody who just says, "I I don't know." Right? It's where I think our casting is really that makes sense. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I know we're running out of time. So I want get, to get through some of the stuff that I'm really curious about. You shoot for however long 30 days, more than 30 days, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. It's a long shoot. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry for your family. Well, we do two seasons back
0: to back. So it's 78 back to back. We do 78 shoot days over oh. about 95. Yeah. Holy cow, yeah. that's insane. It's a lot. By the end, everybody, even
1: the people who love the show like me, are going, oh my God, I'm tired. <laughs> um, and then you have all this footage. Right. And this was the other part of storytelling that I said we would talk about because that's when the stories start right. to come together. Right. So before we started rolling, you said you guys were kind of putting together early episodes for this right. new season. Right. second episode. Which I was yeah. really surprised to hear. Because I would think, you know, granted there's a lot of footage, but things would have emerged that, you know, you guys knew the story you were telling or it would have come together much faster. I would have even assumed that it would have started to come together on location. Well, no, it
0: is. Mm -hmm. So I might have misled you. It is. It's, I was talking more about the editing process Mm -hmm. of actually putting it together. Right. But you know, the story already. Yeah. The way our show works, there's only really one difference than putting a TV show or a movie together. We cast the players, the actors in a movie. Mm -hmm. We pick our location. We pick our theme shipwreck. We put in some twists, which are the obstacles. We set the goal, which is a million dollars. And we say, we've got everything here here's where you're going to do it. Here's what you're going for. Here's what's going to stop you from getting it. And the information you learn along the way will help you become a new person as you grab that, hmm. that million dollar thing. The only thing we're not going to do is we're not going to write down how you're going to respond to these. You're going to now go do it. And then we're going to write in reverse. Mm-hmm. We'll come home and say, okay, she tripped on the log, skinned up her knee, got an infection, was voted out. Hmm. And so we do know when we leave, we keep a little emotional Bible and we know where every character is on each day emotionally. So we know that she started at the bottom. They told her they were going to vote her out. She had a great relationship developed. She missed her mom. She thought of her brother that helped her get to hear it. We have this whole thing, but then we come back and it does take a lot of work. We have several different teams sure. producing, uh, editing different components of the show. It takes a lot of work to tell that story with nuance. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I'm most proud of our show is we aren't we are not a a slam, you just see a scene and you go, I get it. Right. Our show is about don't talk because he's about to whisper something that's just as important as the thing yeah. that was said
1: earlier. It you know, everything matters. And it is taken as a whole, which is really neat, where you can have that thing that's set up in episode two that you start to see play yes. out. In the next few episodes, um, and I love it when really I
0: love it when fans feel like they've seen a clue mm-hmm. like you know he said such and such I, that's part of what we do. We like to leave oh. little nuggets in there for people to wonder is that gonna did he mean something is that gonna pay off? Why would they say that in the first episode? Is he done
1: or is he but there's also the worry in that of like are we putting out Stuff that people are going to read into that don't mean anything. Yeah, no, we don't do that to
0: that degree. I mean, we don't
1: play play with our high points. Yeah, you know, no matter what they are, no matter if there is a closure to it, it's still something exciting that happened.
0: Yeah, we don't. We definitely don't uh, put things in that don't pay off. Yeah. If if I'm coming to the beach to visit a tribe, there's something happening. Sure, you know that. Sure. But what we will do is withhold information. Mm -hmm. We're not going to tell you everything that was said at tribal. Because then there might not be any suspense as to who's going home, but we won't mislead you by putting, uh, by putting a bite in somewhere that didn't happen. There's a, there's a Mm -hmm. thing that, that I wrote and I, I hope it did not annoy our post team, but, um, it was sort of our mission statement. This was a few years ago. And it basically just says to tell, you know, visually compelling stories. This is a nutshell of it to Mm -hmm. tell visually compelling stories that are authentic, and if it's not there, if it didn't happen, then we can't do it. And you can't no matter no matter how much you'd love for this person to have said this, yeah. if they didn't say say it, that you can't do it. Yeah,
1: things don't get pieced together. Uh-uh. This is real, and I've heard this. I mean, not just from you over the years, but from CBS people. And yeah, this this is as true as you can be. It is, and it's creating the story.
0: It's why I took offense last year. We had a guy on the show. And he got Mm -hmm. voted out and his name was Dan and he kept saying over and over, well, I never said that, you know, Mm -hmm. they put it together and they made it look like I did, but I never did. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him before the live show and I said, how are you feeling right now? And he said, well, I don't know. You know, I'm still upset. I said, okay, all right. So are you going to say that at the live show? I might. Okay. So I had our guys pull that raw footage and I told the, you know, I said, we were talking with the director of the show and saying, look, if it goes here have it ready because I'm going to bury him because I'm not going to let our show take a fall that it doesn't deserve. Absolutely. And sure enough, he said, I never said it. And I said, Dan, yeah, you did. Here's the most boring 80 seconds of video. It (laughs) concludes with you saying it. And, and that was my way of saying, look to our own team, we have to live by these rules too. We can't put these people in these incredibly vulnerable spots and mistreat them with their edit.
2: For sure.
0: But as long as we are honest about it, I will always make sure that our show doesn't get buried in controversy when we,
1: when we don't deserve it. Yeah. And for 16 years, it hasn't, which is really impressive. I mean, it's, there's something to that. Yeah. If you're honest about what you're doing, it's going to come across. Yeah. Um, And I do, I've noticed, especially the past few years, there, there often is a moment in that live show where you ask someone if... You don't put it like, well, are they fairly represented, but is accurately, yeah. I guess, is it. And they usually say yes, no matter how they came off in the show. I mean, there is one
0: common feeling, and that is villains or people who come off poorly, they do feel like it's not them. And sure. people who come off like a hero think we got <laughs> them to the T. And I get that because the people who come off poorly often will say, but you didn't show when I told that one joke and or when I juggled. Right. And there's truth to that. But what I always say is, no, but we showed the essence of your personality. You said all those things we showed. Absolutely. And that was your story. All we want is to represent an authentic story. I never, ever want to uh, portray somebody the way they weren't because our show is built on these personalities revealing themselves. That's all.
1: Yeah. Is that something uh, as we wrap up here and you know you worked you like you said you just wrote the screenplay you did some pilots and stuff is that something you take to those as well do you is how how important is honesty to you and how do you get that emotional honesty on the page in fiction um, that's a big question yeah <laughs> it's super
0: important to me and i don't know i mean i think that's where that coming back to the beginning of i think it's why i crave a safe community creatively that I can say, I don't know if this could be terrible. And I know it doesn't mean I'm a terrible person. It just means this was bad writing or a bad structure because I don't know if you do know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I, I directed a movie a couple of years ago and there was this emotional, super emotional scene and it had a lot of things happening and there were two actors in it. And one of the actors, we find, we did several takes of it shooting two cameras. It was a big moment Mm One of the, one of the actors came out and she looked at me and she went, we got it. We got it. I go, I, I I'm with you. Like she was saying emotionally, I was yeah. there. That's it. The next guy, the ne- the other person came out and he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I think we, I think we, I think we got it. Do you? And he goes, I don't know, man. Those are all crocodile tears. You just tell me if we got it. Two completely <laughs> different approaches. Wow. You would never know his yeah. came from crocodile tears. It played emotionally okay. honest. Hers was emotionally honest and it left me going, God, does it, does
1: it matter? I mean, I don't know. Well, that's a dark thing to leave
2: you with. Everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> does it matter? Um, we'll wrap up just by asking what you are watching on television these days. Uh, what has gotten you excited or inspired? Uh, what are you watching? What are you reading? What movies have you seen? Anything you want to talk about? All
0: right. Um, I really love the big short, uh, I like watching, uh, Sex um, uh, Masters and and uh, uh, Master of Sex, yeah, Master of Sex. Um, waiting for Game of Thrones. Um, what else am I watching? You'd think I'd have more of these at my at the tip of my <laughs> hand, but waiting for the new season of um, Spacey uh, uh, House of Cards. The House of yeah. Cards. Sure. I just found Rachel Bloom, who's my new favorite. Right. My new favorite. Yeah. She is so talented, crazy, crazy ex-girlfriend. ex-girlfriend. She's so great. Fantastic. What a fresh, new, likable voice. Yeah. That would be my that would be my uh,
1: pick of the week. <laughs> That's yeah. a good pick of the week. Um, and this will come out right before the new uh, season premieres. Great. Anything you want to tell us? Anything you are particularly excited right, about okay. for the season? And and to leave you with one note on Survivor, it's this will probably
0: be the toughest 39 days any group has had to endure. It starts in the first it episode. it's getting
1: tougher and tougher.
0: Yeah, it was really That's tough. It's so mean. It, it, it's not by design. <laughs> it was Mother Nature. It was a perfect oh, storm wow. of events. But I was up most nights, as were a lot of our executives, monitoring the radios, just Worried that something else was going to happen, and wow, there definitely is going to be at least one evacuation. There will be a lot of tears. People earn their way to the end, man. Whoever wins this game, they deserve it. Oh, that's intense. And I think it's a very different from it's a ver- it's very different from last season. But I do think. People are going to enjoy it again, and there will be at least one star from this season that cool. will become a new all-time favorite character. Cool.
1: I, I mean, I listen. I gotta say, and I told you this earlier. I watched at the beginning. I've been watching the past few years. Even, even when it is not, I don't know, something new or something crazy like this most recent season was. It's still a great show. Oh, <laughs> like thank there's you. always something to. Get invested in, and always something to get excited about, and and it's I mean you, it's you guys doing your job right. Well, coming. The yeah. reason I'm
0: so honored to be on this uh, podcast with you Stop is that, that no, I really am <laughs> because when writers compliment Survivor, it's the highest compliment any of us can ever get because there's so many people in this industry that I feel like look down on unscripted, and when you get that hand fr- a handout or a handshake from somebody who you admire because they're a writer and they're telling you that they see the writing in Survivor, it's a great compliment. So I'm honored to be a part of your, your world in here. It
1: was great having you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.
2: Forever
0: Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.